Welcome to the Closer Than You Think podcast on Substack. I am Mark Scott. That music mix that you heard just a little bit of on, to open us up and get us started here comes from Jinx. That's actually J asterisk NX if you want to look for Jinx on Spotify. And I want to thank Jinx. Thank Jinx. Yeah, I said that right. <laughs> for uh, some clips from some tracks that will be interspersed on some of these podcast episodes. You'll hear it again on the way out as well. Hey, listen, it is September 8th, 2022, which is the first anniversary of a big deal in my life, and that is the publishing uh, publication of my first book, You Don't Have to Do That. So that came out on September 8th, 2021, Writing a book is a ton of work, and a lot of thanks goes to Nanette, my wife, and family, and friends, and I may actually do an episode sometime about that whole process and the people that were involved in different parts of that, if I can put that together. But what we're doing right now is we're starting a series. This is going to be a 10-part series about the book and going through different parts of it, highlighting different parts of it, and um, digging in a little bit and adding some commentary to some of the chapters and some of the topics that we talk about in the book. There is no audio version of the book, so this is as close as you're going to get to anything uh, close to that. And hope what I hope to do, and I'm just going to say hope as a goal um, because I don't want to make a commitment to do this and then not follow through and it, it falls through, but I hope to then produce some episodes a series after this series that involves some other people and we have some dialogue and debate and discussion about some of the things that are brought up in the book. But the episode title for today is The Introduction. So we're going to uh, dive into parts of how the book gets started. So what I'm going to do is just read for you the first uh, opening paragraphs of the book, and if you hear pages rustling, it's because I actually have the book in my hands, not a digital version or anything, but uh, I'm going to be turning pages and all of that good stuff. So, here we go. Introduction. Let's cut to the chase. Jesus never told anyone to go to church, follow the Bible, give 10% of their income, listen to a pastor, take a class, or be religious. Focusing on these things is an effective way to take Christ out of Christianity and turn it into a religion that doesn't work. And yet this is the prescription so many of us have been given. If you have struggled to find Jesus in traditional church structures and routines, you are not alone. Spiritually curious people all over the world are recognizing how Jesus has been removed from Christianity like a battery being removed from a toy. We have been left with a shell on the outside that appears like it should do all the package label claims it can, but there is no power. It is broken and leaves people disappointed. Still, many like to keep such toys around for sentimental value. Occasionally, even a broken toy is fun to use for pretend play, which may very well be what conventional Christianity has become good for. It gives us a way to pretend, to imagine what an encounter with the real Jesus would be like. Apart from nostalgia, though, there is little harm in throwing it out. 
So I will admit that this is kind of a brutal cut to the chase, in your face introduction to the book. That's completely, totally intentional um, to hopefully hook the reader. Uh, just being transparent about that. So let me continue on another couple of paragraphs and then I'll stop here. No doubt I have already offended someone less than a minute into this introduction. And it is not my intent to be offensive. I don't mean to ridicule what someone has treasured as part of their faith, especially if it has been an integral part of their childhood. I am not here to attack centuries of Catholic tradition or take on particular denominations or religions, nor is it within my scope to litigate or debate theological claims of the past 2,000 years. I am comfortable staying in my lane and writing to those who encounter a mostly Protestant, evangelical, institutional church. I am enormously grateful to this community of believers, but I am also seriously concerned about the roads they have paved in our brief chapter of history. All any of us can ever do is respond to only our part of history while hoping to respect the whole of it. That balance of respect and response guides my heart in writing this book. Out of respect for centuries of Christian tradition and theology, I respond to the church history of which I am now a part. My response is made with a sense of urgency, so my language is sometimes direct and confrontational, but not for its own sake and not without high admiration for those who got us to this point. This is not a book that attacks people, but it will take on some highly valued, deeply held practices. I apologize in advance for any ways my comments come across as personal. I only mean to be edifying in the end. It is written with our time and place in mind. We have a specific context to deal with in the Christian church in the United States in the 2000s. <clears throat> so I want to stress that part. Of, I am comfortable staying in my lane and writing to those who encounter a mostly Protestant evangelical institutional church. I will be upfront and totally come out and say that this book is for a select group. There are people who won't like it. There are people who it won't appeal to. There are people who it just won't even be relevant for and that's fine. It's not for them. So it's not about trying to um, get something out there for everybody. It's just an understanding that um, it's for a specific group. So to get more into that, let me share a couple other things about the book. So from the back cover, just to share with you what it says here, it starts with this quote, I miss Jesus, and it's in bold and it's in quotes. As a Christian pastor, Mark Scott could not shake this feeling even though he thought he was doing everything right to be close to God and help others do the same. The journey since then has led to life-changing discoveries and spiritual transformation. If you are questioning, confused, feeling lost, or abandoned by the church as you know it, then this book is for you. So there you go. I'm naming the audience right there. If you are questioning, confused, feeling lost, or abandoned by the church as you know it, then this book is for you. It requires some time in the proverbial wilderness, and it is not always fun, but you can discover God has been closer than you think all along. Hence the name of my uh, blog and podcast here on Substack, Closer Than You Think. <clears throat> Over the years, many people have become disillusioned by Christian religious teachings that often seem to be at odds with the ways of Jesus. There are many burdens that popular institutional church structures have placed on us, but Jesus never did. You don't have to do that. 
is your invitation to embrace a spiritual journey outside of these religious structures, religious structures, excuse me, there is a simpler way to authentic faith that requires the dismantling of some old beliefs, but it is worth it for you and future generations. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm having to clear my throat a lot. Um, I want to clarify something because one of the assumptions that is always made with anybody that writes about this topic, writes anything that is critical of or deconstructing of the institutional church or evangelical Christianity is that they obviously must have been hurt in some way. They must have been wounded by the church. And while that is common, it's not my story. So when I actually, um, quote unquote, left the organized church in that sense, or left the ministry in the church, it was at a time when things were going well. I was a youth pastor at the time. The The youth group was was doing well. We were growing. Um, any preaching that I was doing was, was pretty well received at the time. So things were going well. Um, but I write in the book about this, so I'm not going to go into detail now about kind of what changed there. And I feel that that was um, part of the spiritual uh, awakening and transformation there. But um, I just don't have that story of being hurt in that sense, like the, like the church attacked me in any way. Um, so I, I don't have that pain point to uh, draw upon when writing. Uh, now, there was a lot of angst and stuff that you go through when you're going through the process of questioning some of the beliefs and things, but I just wanted to clarify that. So a little bit more about me. I'll read third person because it's on the back cover as well about the author. Mark Scott has been an ordained pastor, youth leader, public school educator, and volunteer mentor in the juvenile justice system. He holds graduate degrees in both Christian education and educational administration. Much of his life's work is aimed at reforming and simplifying the systems of education and the church to positively impact the next generation. He lives with his wife, Nanette, and we have two daughters. So my audience, um, I will also clarify, is not professors, not pastors, not church historians. Well, actually, it, it can be pastors uh, because a lot of pastors are going to relate to what I write in the book. Um, in fact, I think that's actually a, a good target group is some pastors who might be questioning, questioning some things along the way. Um, but those people who are religiously entrenched, those people who are very, very happy with the institutional church and the organized church, and they're getting a lot out of it, they're not going to like this book. It's not for them. It is for those people, like I said, that are questioning, confused, maybe feeling lost or abandoned. Um, those people that also just may be curious, maybe it's the young family that's now trying to figure out how they're going to raise their children. Um, there's a sense of obligation to seek out different spiritual um, perspectives and they might be feeling pressured, you know, like from their parents or previous generations to do it a certain way. Um, but those who are deconstructing, those who are curious, those who are wondering, all the rest of the people who are looking for more about the genuine faith, and, and also with an emphasis on the fact that the Christianity that is out there right now that we're seeing so much of just does not mesh. It just does not match up with the teachings of Jesus. It, it just doesn't. And so it's hard 
to call it Christianity when it goes against the founder. What we have that's very popular right now is this phrase, this idea, evangelical Christianity. And it has been hammered. It's been deconstructed and broken down and attacked in lots of different ways. And probably rightly so, in, in many cases, it's become very associated with uh, political movements and political ideology. And so I think that's what some of the people are pushing back against. But this idea of evangelical Christianity or evangelicalism is even in and of itself a little bit confusing, a little bit hard to pin down. Uh, people have tried to do it. Barna, which is a <clears throat> well-known research group, has done a lot of survey work and research on born-again Christians, evangelical Christians, and, and so on and so forth. So they actually came out with a nine-point criteria. And so when we're talking about what is an evangelical anyway, what is evangelical Christianity, um, what they say is that it's this idea, of, first of all, that you are identified as a born-again Christian, people who have said that they've made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ, and um, that when they die, they will go to heaven, um, accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, things like that. So they, they identify as being, quote-unquote, born again. But um, in addition to that, Barna put out seven other conditions. So you are, quote-unquote, an evangelical if you um, believe that having a personal, believe that you have a personal responsibility to share your religious beliefs about Christ with others. Um, that, that sense of evangelism where you're supposed to, quote-unquote, win the world and share your faith with others who don't believe. Another one is believing that Satan exists. Another one is believing that eternal salvation is only possible through grace, not works. You can't earn your salvation. Now, that one is actually a critical underlying element through my book, so I will highlight that one and say wholeheartedly that's a good one. Uh, believing that Jesus Christ lived a sin, sinless life, asserting that the Bible is accurate in all that it teaches, and describing God as the all-knowing, all-powerful, perfect deity who created the universe and still rules it today. See how specific this gets with the criteria? And so what Barna points out is that once you do this, the number of evangelicals that meet this criteria drops dramatically. I think it's like 6% or something. And this is, this is old. This is maybe 10, 15 years old uh, for that data. And so there's been a lot of stuff recently about evangelicals, and, and I think this would be more current with what my book tries to address as well. <clears throat> and so a lot of it, though, is just people self-identifying as evangelicals or other people labeling uh, people as evangelicals just because they might say certain things about heaven or evil or sin or the Bible, and then they're just automatically lumped into this category. So when we're talking about evangelical Christianity and all of that, it gets really um, wobbly, it gets really blurry right away. And so what I try to do in the book is really address specific components of what I call the institutional church, the organized church as we know it. And there is a lot that aligns with evangelical Christianity but it's not so much about trying to label people and put them in categories. It's about looking at systems and practices 
and deconstructing those pieces and elements. But this is a huge part of it, though, this idea of, of evangelicals. And so much more recent data, uh, just a few years ago, in 2018, and then uh, kind of published mostly in 2019, is a lot of the perceptions of evangelicals in the U.S. And so when you take people who identify themselves as evangelicals, all right, and you throw out these labels like religiously conservative, politically conservative, um, caring, hopeful, friendly, encouraging, generous. Well, lo and behold, when you use phrases like that, evangelicals say those phrases describe evangelicals. Like, yeah, that's who we are. We're caring, hopeful, friendly, is what a lot of them say. But when you poll non-Christians and the same thing, all of a sudden it, you get very different results. They, words like caring, hopeful, friendly score very, very low for how they would describe evangelicals. Words that describe, uh, words that rank much higher by non-Christians when talking about evangelicals are words, and, and it's still not an overwhelming percentage, but these, these rate a lot higher. Um, and first of all, let me also say what rates really high is don't know. I don't know. They just say, I don't know what that means. But um, narrow-minded comes up very high. Homophobic comes up very high. Uptight. <laughs> Misogynistic. Um, uh, foolish. Things like that uh, rate higher. Um, now, what non-Christians do think overwhelmingly of evangelicals is that they're politically conservative. That that's that's a that rates a lot higher as well. Um, one of them that's kind of funny to me is good-humored evangelicals rate themselves very high on being good-humored. So <clears throat> I just think that's funny. So evangelical Christianity. I wanted to mention that part because that's the part that's in the introduction of the book as well. So one more section from the introduction of the book. Again, you can hear the pages rustling as I find this section to read to you very quickly. I promise very quickly I have it right here. Here we go. Ultimately, my aim with this book is to remove some barriers that stand in the way of receiving God's love by simply revealing another side of the story when it comes to popular religious teachings within Christendom. So Christendom could be another word uh, used for that organized, religious, structural, traditional um, church structure and, and, and evangelical Christianity. But here's, here's the part that I write. If you choose to follow Jesus, the truth is you don't have to be religious. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to follow the Bible. You don't have to go through formal training to be a disciple. You don't have to be led by a pastor. You don't have to give 10% of anything to anyone. If Jesus sets us free, then it means there is a lot we don't have to do. My dream for you is to enjoy his freedom, a gift available to you always. But for you to get to where you can accept that freedom as plainly as it is offered, 
you need to know there is a catch. Questioning long-held norms often comes at a cost. So those things that I list out, being religious, going to church, following the Bible, being in a discipleship program, being led by a pastor, tithing, are all addressed in separate chapters, individual chapters throughout the book. And so those are going to be the episodes coming up that we break down a little bit more. So the final piece to all of this is it leaves us with this question. Can deconstruction be done in a healthy way? There is so much out there right now about deconstructing your beliefs, deconstructing your faith, deconstructing your spirituality and all of that. It's kind of almost become a fad in some circles and a popular notion. And maybe some people are jumping on the the bandwagon just for that reason. But I think a lot of people are very, very genuine in trying to question um, long-held beliefs and teachings. And what I try to do in this book is address that. I mean, there is a lot of deconstructing going on in this book in the first six chapters. But then there is a turn where we talked about how do we reconstruct? What are we building out of this? As we're moving pieces around, what are the things that we're going to discard? What are the things we're going to keep as we go along? And here's the thing. I I just listened to a podcast with some people kind of differing and, and disagreeing about this. You know, is it right to do this or not? Is it okay to deconstruct like this? This is what our brains are doing all the time anyway. We break things down. We break things into smaller ideas. We break things into smaller pieces. And then we synthesize these pieces. We put things back together and reconstruct all the time. That's what we do with different concepts and teachings all the time. And it's no different with spiritual stuff and biblical teaching as well. And so I I think the healthier question isn't, are you walking away from something? You know, because that's what... That's what the fear is that people say is, oh, they're just going to walk away from their faith altogether. They're just going to leave altogether. And, and most people, like other authors have pointed out before, most people are actually walking away from the church not because they've lost their faith, but to preserve their faith. And they really are wrestling with this whole idea of what Jesus taught versus what the church is teaching in a lot of cases. So I think the main question is, what are you walking away from and what are you walking towards? And I will say one of the points in in my book that I'm actually proud of is the focus on the centrality of Jesus. And if we're going to say that we're Christ followers, then hold up his teachings, hold up his example higher than anything else and make sure that that's what's leading us. And that's what starts the reconstruction process. We're going to get into that more when we um, analyze chapter 7. But then you go from there and you get into chapters 8 and 9 where hopefully lays out a track for hope for the future as well. So, hey, that is the introduction to You Don't Have to Do That. And I invite you to comment, discuss, debate, critique, um, everything associated with this book. You don't have to do that. The subtitle is Moving Past What is Wrong with Religion to Embrace What is Right with Jesus. Again, this is the one-year anniversary, the kicking this off of the podcast it is um, available wherever books are sold, wherever you can find books. Um, so obviously, most commonly, Amazon, I think, is where people go, but Barnes & Noble as well. There is a Kindle version as well. Um, I actually get more of the uh, percentage of the purchase of 
Kindle versions, if that matters to anybody. But um, some of you like to hold the book just like I do and like to have a physical copy of the book. And you can get that um, on Amazon, but there's also a link that I'm going to start putting out everywhere that you can go um, and get directly from the publisher at a 10% discount as well. And with that link, you also have an option to just download a, a simple PDF version for a cheaper rate as well. It's an instant download, but you don't get, um, obviously you can't hold the book and um, it's not a nice version like a Kindle version digitally. It's literally a PDF. Anyway, there's all those things. If anybody wants to do me a solid and really help me out, you can go to Amazon and leave a, a positive review of the book. That's fantastic. Hey, um, quick shout out to my brother Galen, and he may not even want to be mentioned in association with everything I just said about the book, but um, it's his birthday today. So happy birthday, brother. Thanks so much, everybody. Talk to you soon. Jinx, take us out.